2: Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in what feels like Minneapolis, Minnesota today, but from San Antonio, Texas. And as you know by now, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. Believe it or not, today I even have a question about cross-breeding chili peppers. So that's a first for me, but we would love your participation today. All you have to do is provide the phone call two one zero three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at eight seven seven six three zero K S L R. That's six three zero five seven five seven. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at Calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, and especially when the streets are like they are today, the safest way to call if you're driving your car is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. We've got. Oh, by the way, Paula will be here live tomorrow because it's a date day edition of the program. And uh, we understand it's going to be a little tiny bit warmer tomorrow, which is a good thing. Uh, but she will be here tonight here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, I'm going to be teaching out of Second Kings 20 for any of you who are hardy enough to get here uh, through the storm. Uh, really, really an interesting chapter. Lots and lots to talk about uh, in that chapter. So Second Kings chapter 20 uh, tonight. Let me get to some questions that have been sent in. Uh, The first one that I want to get to is one that uh, we got yesterday I didn't have a complete answer for. This one is from Mark from our email inbox, and I'll read the question again. Uh, Greetings, Pastor Ron. I pray all is well. I ran across several videos by the name of GOCC, which stands for Gathering of Christ Church. I find his messages and teaching lessons very enlightening. Uh, Also, they have many followers. I believe God is using... Uh, These elders, in a mighty way, they are teaching and breaking down scriptures like I never heard before. I love our Heavenly Father so much, and all he has done for me, and pray for his guidance, and was led to these teachings. Now, I'm going to stop right there, Mark, because if you you think you were led to to these teachings, you were not led by the Holy Spirit to these teachings. I can promise you that. More on that in a moment. Uh, He then says, I also study the Bible carefully, and everything these elders teach, Uh, Definitely lines up with scripture. I just want you to know, want to know, have you seen or heard of them and what are your thoughts? Uh, You probably don't want to know my thoughts, Mark, as you can probably tell by now. Um, uh, They they, they use scripture, but they use the scripture wrong. They have no understanding at all of the Bible. Uh, This is a website that, and again, I did a cursory uh, review of several of their teachings. Uh, Borders on Heresy. Uh, I'm confident that these are black Israelites, which is heresy, uh, and there's nothing that they say or do that lines up with Scripture. In fact, everything that they say and do uh, is in opposition to what Scripture says. And Mark, frankly, and this is what what really concerns me, and I don't know you, so there's nothing personal about this, but it really confuses me when people have a Bible, and they listen to something like this, and they measure— the validity of the teaching by the number of views or followers or elders that they have. It's easy to get followers. All you have to do is tell people or a certain group of people what they want to hear. Um, but but remember, as as ambassadors of God, it's our responsibility to teach the Word of God. Workmen, workwomen, rightly dividing the Word. And Mark, I'm stunned. I'm, I'm just stunned after listening to Um, just maybe 15 minutes uh, on three different videos that they had. Uh, I'm stunned that you find this uh, at all uh, even interesting, let alone even close to being correct. This is simply, um, the things they're saying are simply not true. And just like Satan knows uh, the scriptures and tried to to, to distort them when he was tempting Jesus, uh, these men, and I assume women as well, they're They're using the scriptures, but they're misusing them and abusing them, and uh, this is simply not something that any Christian should uh, have any connection with at all. Um, If they are purposely spreading false teaching, if they have an agenda, and I think that agenda comes out very clear uh, in their teachings, um, then these are uh, unregenerate people um, who are actually ambassadors of the enemy. Um, Mark, again, I'm stunned that you would think that these teachings have any value at all. And for you to say that they definitely line up with Scripture is troubling to me. It's troubling to me. I'm going to go into another question, but but let me just say this. As a pastor, one of the things that frustrates me the most with people is that they are unwilling to... um, simply take the Bible at face value. This is what it says. This is what it means. And I'm betting Mark and people like him are spending more time uh, on YouTube going from video to video rather than they are in their own Bible. you got to know what the Word says. Um, otherwise, you're going to be manipulated. And I want to remind you once more, it was um, the devil whose original temptation was, did God really say in the garden? Um, when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Um, If you are the son of God. And then he was challenging Jesus to question the goodness of his father in heaven. And that's exactly what these people are doing. The black Israelite movement is um, an affront to um, what our Bible teaches. Uh, It is an assault on the historic nation of Israel. Um, Believe me, Mark and everybody else, just, we've got to be better. We've got to do better. Here is a question from J.R. uh, from our email inbox, and he says, is it wrong to cross-breed plants? Make hybrid chili peppers, for instance. Would this be attempting to change God's perfect work? I don't know anywhere this is referenced in Scripture. God bless you and your wonderful ministry, J.R. J.R., thank you for... Your blessing, and I appreciate it you know i'm i 'm the last person on planet earth you should ask about chili peppers uh, I, uh, there are ketchups that are too spicy for me so i don't i don 't do anything but no it 's not wrong to cross breed plants humans have been doing that forever and ever uh, cross breeding animals and and other things so so no there's nothing wrong with it, but um, um, these are issues that scripture's simply not going to address. Because they're not part of God's story. So uh, go ahead and crossbreed all you want. And I hope you get exactly the chili peppers uh, that you want. uh, And do it with a clear conscience. No issues or problems at all. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question. This one from our email inbox. And this one's from Richard. Sorry for the break. I had to take a cough. Uh, Richard says, I've been. I've often wondered if the adversary Satan already knows what his final outcome is going to be. And if so, is that why he uh, is doing it or is doing it, uh, his work as fast as possible to take away as many believers from God and towards him on it? I hope the question is answered. I will be listening for it as I always listen to your radio show on my way home from work. Well, Richard, be careful as you are driving home today. I'm sure the freeways are pretty empty uh, today, but uh, just please, please, please be careful. Um, You know, I say all the time here uh, to our church, Richard, that sin is insane. We try to, to, to apply logic and reason Um, But sin is insane. There is no logic and there is no reason. And while certainly the enemy knows the Bible, um, knows it well enough, as I just indicated, to distort it. uh, And he's been doing that from the beginning. Um, He knows his end. You know, he knows how the book of Revelation ends and he knows uh, his um, uh, place in the, in the, the, the space of eternity. Um, but but he doesn't consider that. You know, Satan is completely self-absorbed. You talk about a narcissist. Uh, and yes, he's angry. Paul says that that uh, the time is short. Uh, his days are numbered and his anger, his fury, will increase uh, the closer we get to the very end. Now remember, he doesn't know when the end is going to be either, but but he knows the signs and so he's doing it. And we would think, well, if he knows the outcome, why wouldn't he just repent or ask God to forgive him. Uh, Why is he fighting so hard? We would say, why aren't we taking a vacation instead of working so hard? But he doesn't respond to that. And he's just getting angrier and angrier. And Richard, if you've ever seen somebody so angry that every single thing they did made no sense and made the situation worse, that's exactly what's happening now. Now, he also knows, again, because he knows the word, he knows that he can't alter the eternal destination of believers. Uh, We're sealed with a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. Satan knows that, but what he's really trying to do is render ineffective the ministry of Christians uh, because he doesn't want Christians going out, sharing the gospel. He doesn't want them being a light, living their lives in a manner that other people could follow and desire. Uh, And so he's trying to break us. He's trying to destroy uh, every believer that he can trick into sin, every believer that he can get, especially very public ones, uh, when he's going after pastors, and and I'm not I'm not excusing pastors who sin, but but he's got special targets on on those who are very public Christians, because when he can take them down, he knows that others will fall like dominoes in the process, and so yes, his attacks are fast and furious; they're getting crazier and crazier and crazier. Um, but uh all he wants is to, to 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 steal, to kill and destroy. And he certainly doesn't want people like us, Richard, uh having any positive influence or effect on unbelievers at all. And you know, Satan right now is doing his job pretty well with unbelievers Uh, He has blinded the minds of people. Again, God allows these lying spirits. When people want to be deceived, God will let them be deceived if that's their choice. Uh, But Satan is out there with this supernatural ability uh, to blind our understanding. I mean, just look at our country. Our our young people have grown up without the ability to think reasonably, without the ability to, to think logically. And they just Parrot or repeat over and over the things that they hear, and um, Richard, that's just what he does. He is the prince of the air, and believe me, whether it's uh, radio, television, um, social media, um, uh, he's he's distorting it all, and uh, he is angry. And the time is short, and he knows it. So uh, for you and for me, Richard. Uh, what we want to do is we want to be sure that we don't play into his hands. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Mimi. Pastor Ron, how do you respond to a family member who is gay without offending them? You know, Mimi, I, I think, and I've said this many times regarding this situation, uh, I, I think we stop worrying about offending them. Um, the the cross is an offense. Now, certainly, it is never our intention to offend but the reality is when you tell somebody who's doing something that they know they're not supposed to do and you tell them they've got to stop doing it, they're going to be offended. And by the way, this just doesn't affect people who are gay. This this is uh, heterosexual people who are having sex uh, with when they know they're not supposed to. Uh, this is people who get drunk, people who are angry. You tell them that what you're doing is sin and you've got to stop it, they get offended. And they'll come up with, all God knows my heart, and, and they'll defend the, the position that's indefensible. And um, they're going to be offended. I think, Mimi, me, me, we've got to get used to that. I tell my church here all the time that we got to toughen up. If God knows our heart, and we know our heart, and our heart is pure, and our motives are godly, then we just have to accept um, the, the, the offense that people take. Um, and consider it even a badge of honor. Well, that's not my heart. I love you. You know I love you. I'm telling you the truth in love. But if that's going to cost us a friendship or if that's going to cost us our relationship, well, so be it. That's the way it's going to be. One thing I would do, Mimi, because this is a family member, is I would focus less on their homosexual lifestyle than I would on presenting to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think what people need to know, especially people that are living in willful rebellion against God, I think what they need to know is that God loves them and in spite of their uh, their, their, their willful disobedience, he will forgive them. That he'll take that hole in their heart, that emptiness. You know, they're pursuing a lifestyle that they hope will be fulfilling. And it, and it is for a minute. We know that. We're, of Moses was said... That, that people can enjoy the pleasures of sin uh, just for a moment. Um, but but you just tell them, look, when, when the pain gets to be too much, when this doesn't satisfy, then I want you to know God loved you so much he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins and he'll give you a whole new do-over in life. And then leave him with this. Say, you know, if you ever really want to talk about something that's important, you know where I am. And then, of course, we're going to continue to pray for them. But but I think all of us as Christians, we've got to stop worrying so much about people being offended. Uh, We end up tiptoeing around the subject, and and, and I think sometimes we give them the wrong impression. Uh, We just got to tell them, no, what you're doing is wrong, but that's okay. It's okay because God will forgive you when you get to that place where you want to repent and turn from sin and turn to God. And anytime you want to talk about that Jesus, I'll be happy to talk to you about it. I think too often we lead with the problems rather than with the answers. The answer is Jesus to every question. The answer is Jesus, and I think sometimes I'll quote my uh, friend John Corson. He used to say that um, you know we Christians were trying to clean the fish before we catch him. He said just catch him and let God clean him. And uh, I think if we'll do that, then. Uh, it's not so personal and we're not attacking a lifestyle that they're committed to defending. Very good question, Mimi. Thanks very much. I'm sorry uh, for the pain that your family member is causing. Uh, Andrea says, a blog I read says there isn't going to be a rapture. Uh, That's very sad if it's true. Uh, Andrea, here's a place where nobody ever takes my advice. Just... Nobody ever does it. Stop reading those kind of blogs. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one indicates very clearly there's gonna be a rapture. First and second Thessalonians both indicate very clearly that there's going to be a rapture. And, you know, you get people who behind a keyboard suddenly have a lot more credibility. If you probably saw this guy or this woman Whoever's writing the blog, you, you probably wouldn't give them an ounce of credibility. So just ignore it. Why would you bother reading that when you could instead be reading your Bible? You could be talking to the Lord in prayer. I, I just, you know, I read only what I have to read, um, you know, doing the show and and uh, answering questions for the people in, in our church body. Uh, there are things I need to, to know, need to read about. Uh, there are people involved in some blogs that I know personally that I'm praying for. Uh, and so I, I I keep very generally uh, uh, connected to those particular blogs. But at some point when the Holy Spirit sort of witnesses to your heart that there's nothing edifying in this again, why, why would I do it? So, Andrea, there is going to be a rapture. It's going to happen soon. We don't know how soon. We don't know when. But the idea of soon means suddenly. And uh, if you continue to read that blog, two things I know are going to be true. First, you're going to be very sad yourself. We're affected by what we partake. The second thing I know is that the people on that blog, the commenters and, and, uh, and others, they're very sad as well. They're very sad Um, in Jesus' ministry. uh, And now we're in the book of Acts on Sundays here at Calvary Chapel. Um, After the Pharisees messed up the the crucifixion and trying to solve the Jesus problem, well, after uh, that, in the book of Acts, the Sadducees come front and center. And uh, the Sadducees are the ones in charge. It's sort of like they the Pharisees got demoted because they didn't solve the problems so the Sadducees are rolling up their sleeves we'll take over now but the Sadducees those are men who didn't believe in life after death they didn't believe in the resurrection they didn't believe in the miraculous it is interesting to me they don't believe in the miraculous but they claim to believe only in the first five books of the Jewish Bible um, the reality is that that um, um, they they they're men with no hope, and people with no hope are miserable, and they're eventually going to make everybody around them miserable. And so, when somebody says there is no rapture, um, that's sad. Just just pray for them, Lord, open their eyes. But Andrea, just limit your screen time. Limit. Um, the things that you're reading and I know we read well you know we got to be open to other viewpoints and no we don't the word the word the word and in fact reading blogs and reading other things can be really really dangerous Mark's question earlier uh, he's convinced that these people that he's listening to are really speaking for God and, and that the things they write are lining up with scripture and it's simply not true until we know for sure what the Bible says, what it means, and how we're to use it, we ought to be very discerning in what we allow our minds to take in. you got to know what's real before you can identify what's counterfeit. Andrea, the rapture of the church is a blessed hope. Without hope, people die. The only thing worse than no hope is false hope. And uh, a blog like that is peddling no hope at all. Here's a question from Michelle. What is the difference between tithing and giving or even love offerings? Um, Michelle, tithing, the word means a tenth. And tithing means giving 10% off the top to the Lord. um, Just for what it's worth, tithing is not a New Testament principle. I know people say, well, tithing was a principle when Abraham gave. That was before the law. And so after the law, we're still supposed to tithe. That's the principle. It's not. Um, our New Testament deals with giving and the heart and the motive behind giving. Uh, the law that included tithing for Jews um, has been fulfilled and canceled. And we're we're not bound by it. So tithing is 10%. Giving is just, you know, I think we got to realize that everything that we have belongs to the Lord. That's one of the advantages of being a New Testament Christian. Um, We don't give him 10 cents. We keep 90 cents. Uh, We just say, Lord, the whole dollar is yours. What do you want me to do with it? And that's what giving is. And that's giving in a lot of churches that do practice tithing. The giving is a free will giving over and above. Now, love offerings, when you go to churches, they'll have a guest speaker in or they'll have somebody with a sad story and they'll say, well, let, let's take a special love offering for this person or that person. And uh, and and I guess that's okay if the church isn't benefiting from it. But, Michelle, what I really, really, really hope and pray for is that pastors would simply say, God, you know exactly what we need. We're going to teach the Word you open the people 's hearts, and you open their pocketbooks and and you provide what we need because otherwise we end up doing what churches do we We go to the congregation with our needs, and we plead with them um, I, I I got so disgusted with Christian radio, um, especially all through uh, from thanksgiving on to the to the first of the year um the, 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 the begging that goes on is unseemly. It's embarrassing, frankly. And the focus is we're going to ask you for help instead of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, you know, you told us to get on the radio. You told us to provide this. And so you need to provide for us, Lord. And trusting the Lord to provide. He led the ministry on the radio or the ministry at your church. Well, then he's able to provide for it. Michelle, having said that, um, a lot of pastors just do what they've been taught, and tithing is an easy way to obligate people to give uh, at our church and on this radio program and on our teaching programs, which, which are actually on all over the nation. Um, we've never asked for a dime. We've never let our needs be known, uh, and we have trusted the Lord. I never let our needs be known in the church. I never ask for money. We never pass an offering here in the church. And God has responded with great generosity. And our people have become very, very generous in the process. And we've never had to take a minute of time kind of dealing with that stuff. Hey, the phones are quiet. we love your participation. 340-9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. We will be back in two minutes.
1: Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630- KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron
2: Arbaugh. We are back. Thank you for waiting for those two minutes. It seemed like about five seconds to us on this side of the microphone. 340-9585. Here's a question from Rita. Rita says, where is there scriptural references to a pre-trib rapture? Um, Rita, you have to take the whole counsel of God. Now, there are certainly uh, references to rapture. I, I mentioned them uh, in an earlier question, 1 Corinthians 15:51, 51, uh, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, uh, there are very specific um, uh, references to the rapture. Now, specifically, um, the the rapture passages don't address the time frame. But to get the time frame to understand the preacher rapture you've got to you've got to take the Bible as a whole the pictures of the rapture that God has given you have to always and this is always something we need to do whenever there's a doctrine that's questionable or something that you're really um, wrestling with you have to take the character and the nature of God into effect now here's what's important Rita we know that The great tribulation is God's wrath. We know that from the Old Testament. We know it from the book of Revelation. Um, God's wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. God is angry at sin. He's going to judge sin. And when the church is raptured, then the last seven years of history on this earth, as we know it, are going to be only years that are encompassed by Judgment. Now we also know that it is impossible for God to judge His own people. Why would He judge me when Jesus has washed me? Come, let us reason together, God said to Isaiah the prophet. Though your sins are as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Why would God judge me? Why would God pour out His wrath on me when in fact I'm perfect? I'm spotless, blameless before him because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin, referring to Jesus, became sin that we might become the righteousness of the perfection of God. So that that, that makes it impossible for God and his character, his nature, his justice, to judge us. So it's just that simple. So uh, you'll remember when uh, Jesus and the two destroying angels went in to uh, see Abraham just prior to uh, pouring out his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, when when um, Jesus told him, uh, uh, Abraham's his friend, he told him everything, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And and uh, Abraham's response was, surely, Lord, surely you're not going to judge the w- righteous with the wicked. And Jesus could at that point said, you know, I can judge whoever I want. He didn't say that. He said, you're right. And that led to, you remember, the negotiation. If there are 50 righteous, 40 righteous, and all the way down. And there was only um, three in Sodom who were righteous. Lot and his two daughters, they were convinced to come. But the idea is, how could God judge us with his wrath when God is pleased with us, when he loves us. That would be a violation of his nature and his character. And any doctrine that violates the nature of the character of God, we know without question is incorrect. Now, to emphasize that point, you can go through the Old Testament and you can see many, many pictures of a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Um, Enoch. Who walked with God in a world completely given over to Saint Enoch alone walked with God for 300 years. He was 65 when he got the message from the Lord and for 300 years he walked with God and God took him before the judgment of the flood. Um, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego being thrown in Daniel chapter 3 into the fire. No mention of Daniel the beloved. Why wasn't Daniel there? It's a picture of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego representing Israel, they will go through the Great Tribulation. But Daniel, the Beloved, being protected and is nowhere mentioned there. Uh, and there are other pictures or types. Um, Read it. If you've got uh, access to a computer, go to calvarysa.com and you can go to uh, our studies, my studies on the Book of Revelation. And every time uh, I get to Revelation chapter 4, the very first study in Revelation chapter 4. I always give a complete um, defense of a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. It's all, all and only about the rapture of the church. And uh, I go through these pictures over and over and over and over, as well as the nature and the character of God. So there are lots and lots of them. That's calvaryessay.com. It's the very first study in Revelation chapter 4. Rosa says, Pastor, some churches have women pastors, and other churches say women cannot be pastors. How are we to know what's right? Rosa, the way we know what's right is the Bible tells us. Don't ever try to make a decision about what's right or wrong based on the practice of, of Christians. Frankly, there's a lot of Christians who don't really care what the Bible says. Paul, when talking about worship, talking about orderly worship, talking about the role of a pastor in the church, he says in, in uh, First Timothy chapter two, uh, "I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man." Period. Now that's pretty self-explanatory. Now you get a lot of people that try to twist that or distort it, but if you don't interpret it, you just read it for what it says. Everyone who's going to understand it then you understand that women cannot be pastors. Now, women have the gift to teach. I've got a bunch of women here at Calvary Chapel with a wonderful gift of teaching, just a a wonderful gift. And we love um, um, providing them the opportunity to use that gift. That gift is normally used um, when teaching other women. uh, Our Monday night Bible studies for women. Uh, We have a rotation of teachers that come in, including Paul, of course. And, um, you know, they're gifted teachers. we got a couple of ladies that that I think are better teachers than I am. Um, So it's not that they're not qualified. It's not that they don't have the gifting. It's just that God says, nope, this office, which belongs to me, and the church, because it belongs to me, this office is reserved for men, male headship. It's not saying anything about the qualifications of a man. In fact, we know God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That's probably the reason that men are pastors. But the idea here is he gets to make the rules. And any church that has a woman pastor, um, women who um, usurp the authority of God to become pastors. Now, they're going to find people who will listen to them and especially all the more if they're gifted. But here's the problem. The church is settling for less than God's best. Uh, They're still saved. Uh, We're going to be in heaven with them. They're going to know they were wrong then. Uh, But the reality is that that we can't just decide, no, that was for another culture. You've got to be a student rightly dividing the word of God. And and Rosa, if you don't know the Bible, then you're going to look around and see all kinds of different practices. There are professing Christian churches that ordain homosexuals. Um, and, and, and I'm convinced that they believe with all their heart that they're right but all they have to do is read the Bible and they would know they're not so there's all kinds of things that we do there are churches that are out of order in the use of the gifts of the spirit and of course they think they're the most spiritual ones but they're settling for less than God's best, they're getting ripped off so that's how you know what's right but you've got to know your Bible and don't listen to what somebody says. Well, my interpretation of this is, and and you know, Rose, in, in our position here at Calvary Chapel, uh, I'm not interpreting Second um, Timothy, or I'm sorry, First Timothy two twelve. Uh, I'm just reading it. This is what it says, and then I can explain what it says a little bit, but I'm not interpreting it. I'm reading it. And when we get to the point where we say, well, no, that's not really true today. That was something that was good for 2,000 years ago. But we've evolved, and God gives gifts to women, and that's when we're rationalizing our rebellion against God. And when we do that, uh, Rosa, we we really are uh, settling for less than God's best. Not just the church, but the woman who is usurping the position. Um, outside of the will of God is also settling for less than God's best. I have a, a feeling that, that uh, pride um, is is the motivation for most of it. Pride is sort of the sin behind all of their sins. And when a woman says, "Well, uh, I can do this just as well as a man," um, they're they're well, they're in a difficult position to defend against God. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Jeff asks, "Is it okay for a believer to smoke?" Um, Jeff, let me say it two ways. No, I don't think it's okay for a believer to smoke, but it is not a sin for a believer to smoke. It's only a sin for a believer to smoke if God has already spoken to them. Um, pricking their heart, asking them to put the cigarettes down. I have more for you than you can imagine. Um, I've got I've got other ministries for you. Um, if, if God is knocking on the door of your heart, uh, Romans 14, 23 says, Anything not of faith is sin. And uh, if you are smoking in violation of that knocking on the door of your heart um, by the Holy Spirit, then it is sin for you. But it is not Sin for believers to smoke. Um, I almost wish it would, was, you know, it would be easier um, to deal with this issue of our Christian liberty. But the reality, Jeff, is when we are smoking, um, we're compromising our witness. You know, Paul says all things are permissible, but... Not all things are beneficial. Not all things are good for me. He says, um, "I will not be mastered by something." And people that smoke are are um, addicted to the nicotine, addicted to the practice, either physically or psychologically. Uh, so I don't. I think I don't think it's okay to smoke, but it's not a sin to smoke. And the rest of that is left for you to wrestle with the Lord about. Jeff, one other thing I will say: typically, when I get a direct question like this whether it's watching R-rated movies or drinking alcohol or smoking cigarettes, um, usually that to me is an indication that the Holy Spirit has already been speaking to you about that very thing. So if the Spirit of God has been speaking to you directly about this, uh, listen to him and trust him and say, Jesus, I love you more than I love these cigarettes. So I want to make myself available. And by the way, whether it's drinking or smoking or something like that that isn't specifically called sin in the Bible, whenever God is asking you to get rid of something like that, he's doing it to increase your ministry opportunities. He wants to make you available. He wants you to be available to people that he wants to minister to through you. And boy, that's always a a real blessing. Thanks for the question, Jeff. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're the only one today.
3: Oh hi, Pastor Ron. I hope you're staying warm.
2: I'm right in front of a heater. <laughs>
3: well good. <laughs> I have a question and it's kind of scrambled in a way, so you'll have to unscramble it. Now when now Christ appeared in the old testament in human form is part of my question, but what I'm thinking about was when he was, when he became half God and half man and was born, and Mary was his mother, he would have had similarities. Like, he would have looked like his mom a little bit, I would think. You know, the physical side of him would have looked like Mary. Now, in the Old Testament, when he appeared physically, would he have appeared how he looked as Jesus, or would he appear is how he is as Christ, because I didn't think that he was Jesus until after he was born on earth. So anyways, if you can unscramble this, I'll get off the radio and um, and and listen to you. And take heart. It's going to warm up soon.
2: <laughs> I'm holding my breath, Cindy. Thank you very, very much. Um, a couple things. Cindy, this is important. I know your heart, and you didn't mean it this way, uh, but but he was never half man and half God. Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. And by the way, he he is 100% God and he is still 100% God. So, um, it's not a 50-50 thing. Um, His birth, I I don't know that he would look like Mary at all. He didn't. uh, This was a supernatural um, occurrence and... um, Jesus, we know, uh, was very ordinary in appearance. Um, there was nothing about him that would have attracted us to him. So um, uh, there's there's no reason to think that he looked like Mary. Um, we know he looked like his father. Uh, we know that because he was the exact representation. He was the radiance of his father. So um, I, I just don't think it, it serves any purpose for us to uh, wonder about what he looked like and, and all those things. If it was important for us to have known that, the Bible would have told us that. You also uh, erred when you said that he, he appeared in human form in the Old Testament. He did not. Uh, when Jesus appeared uh, in the Old Testament, the pre-incarnate appearances of Christ um, before the manger, um, he appeared as an angel of the Lord. Uh, and, and when you see him, he's being worshipped, um, um, but, but he, that, that was an angelic appearance uh, of Jesus uh, before the cross. There's a great book, and I recommend this every time I get a question on the pre-incarnate appearances of the Lord. Uh, and, and it's still in print. Um, it's called Christ Before the Manger, but written by a man named Ron Rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S. And it's really an interesting book. Uh, I read it many many years ago. I had it in my library. I don't know if I it. since we moved we can't find some stuff, but but um um he appeared in the Old Testament uh, as the angel of the Lord, wrestling with Jacob, appearing to Gideon's parents, um uh, I'm sorry, Samson's parents appearing to Gideon. Um so so he he had appearances, but they were angelic in form. Um now he could appear human. As he did to Abraham, uh, when Jesus was with the destroying angels, and the destroying angels also appeared in human form um, uh, in in Sodom, but uh, his appearances were uh, angelic in in in, uh, in origin. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate the question. Vincent says, "Is believing that the gifts of the Spirit are still for today an essential doctrine to divide over?" Or is it Um, non-essential? Vincent, I think it's a really important doctrine, but it is not an essential of the historic Christian faith. Uh, Certainly, it's not something that that we ought to to divide over if there is, uh, I'll give you an example, someone like John MacArthur, um, who is a cessationist. Um, uh, Certainly, we don't divide with him over that. We can point out that he's wrong. But but it's not something that we divide. Certainly, John MacArthur is a born-again believer. Certainly, God has used him marvelously, and, and he's been faithful in the pulpit for, for now more than 50 years. Um, so we certainly wouldn't divide over that. Now, here's something that I think is important, Vincent. Uh, I think believing in the gifts of the Spirit as being continuing or being for today is essential in terms of producing fruit in our ministries. I think most of the people that you see uh, who are are cessationists—that means the gifts have stopped—you um, know their 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 walk is kind of dry. Um, you know, I can listen to people like John MacArthur uh, or Jay Vernon McGee, uh, and they were both cessationists, and you can see they're producing some fruit. They're actually using one of the gifts of the Spirit that God has given them. Um, But, um, you know, you you can just see there's not a lot of um, reliance upon the supernatural power of God when John MacArthur and his has come from from his own mouth. I've heard it with my own ears. Um, You know, when he prepares a Bible study, he believes that the Holy Spirit is involved, but um, it's through his hard work and through his study. Uh, I take just the opposite approach. I, I work hard and I study. Um, I do the work that, that helps me in my walk with the Lord, but, uh, I want to be open. I want to be open to the leading of the spirit while I'm preaching. You know, I do three services on Sunday and, and, um, and all three services are three different crowds. And, and you can ask Paula when, when she's here and she's here all three services on Sunday, um, All three services are different, same story, same basic idea, but the application parts in particular are all different because there's different people in those studies. The Spirit wants to meet them, so I'm using the gift of teaching, and I'm using the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do that. I'm asking God for words of wisdom and words of knowledge, uh, those kind of things, and I want to be that flexible uh, for each and every service. You know, one of the things that's hard, when you're teaching um, multiple services, Vincent, um, um, I spe- I struggle most in third service. And the reason I struggle in third service is because my mind doesn't work as well. I'm, I'm hungry. I, I've eaten really, really early in the morning. I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning on Sundays. And uh, I've eaten really, really early. And so I'm hungry. I'm, I'm old. I'm 155 years old. and And, and my mind wanders... Um, and my energy wanes just a little bit, uh, so I, I what I do before I get up there, and usually I do this when I first get on the stage, while they're just finishing a worship song, I'll walk up on stage, and I'll say, Lord, the people sitting in these chairs deserve the best we've got, so let's give them the best we got, and, and uh, I can only hope that my third services aren't um, are, are are not representative of anything other than the best I can do. And I want to, when I get up the stage, I want to be able to say, Lord, I did the best I could. I did it with all my heart. Hope that's the case. Good question, Vincent. we got time for maybe one more. Uh, Maurice says, How should Christians like me protect against a friendship relationship becoming romantic? Um, Maurice, I'm not quite sure what you mean. I, I think, um, in my experience has been, I've watched a lot of relationships that were friends only relationships blossom into wonderfully romantic relationships and, and, uh, uh, evolve into marriage relationships. So, uh, Paula is by far my best friend in the world and, um, I'm pretty crazy head over heels in love with her. So, uh, I, I don't think you should try to protect against a friendship, relationship, becoming romantic, especially if you're starting to have some feelings. Now, I think what you should do is be very honest with that person. And and what you would say to her, Maurice, is, is you know, I know we're great friends and I love our relationship, but in the spirit of being honest and open with you, um, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm developing feelings for you. That's not a bad thing, Maurice. Now, you're putting the ball in her court and and it may not at that moment be what you were hoping for. But believe me, um, there's nothing wrong with uh, a friendship um, developing into uh, a marriage or, or a romantic relationship. And, and believe me, Maurice, it doesn't matter how old you get. Um, our relationship at home is still romantic. Paula, I, I don't understand why, but she's crazy about me and I'm crazy about her. And um, uh, she is a romantic so, um, I, you know, I think that's just the way that God intends it to be. So I wouldn't protect against it at all. What I would protect against is that relationship becoming sinful. That's what you want to really be on guard against. Be guard on guard against the thoughts that are coming into your mind. Take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to to Christ. Understand that as the male in a friendship relationship... Uh, you've got to protect not only your own witness, your own walk with the Lord, but you've also got to protect hers. And so you don't want that relationship to get sexual. Um, That certainly would not be a way that we would thank God for bringing somebody into our lives. What we would want, Maurice, is very simply to say, God, if this relationship is going to evolve into something romantic, it will help us to be especially on guard to honor you in this relationship with everything that we do. But I'm a big fan, Maurice, of friends developing into more than just friends, and I've seen it happen so many times here. It's just, uh, um, I I just wouldn't be on guard against that at all. I think that's a, a natural progression of things. So I hope that answers your question. Hey, I appreciate you tuning in today. You know, it's been cold. Those streets have been wet. So please be careful out there. We will be having service tonight here at Calvary Chapel at 7 o'clock. We're teaching at of 2 Kings chapter 20. I said at the beginning of the program, it's a very interesting um, program or chapter. And um, uh, so we're going to be here. There may only be a few of us, but that's okay. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Remember, Paula is going to be here tomorrow. Lord willing, we will be together on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you at 4 o'clock. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.